Thanks for listening to this podcast of Trending with Timory. If you haven't already subscribed, please catch us wherever you love to listen to your podcast, from the Relevant Radio app to Apple, YouTube, you name it, we are there. And if you listen on Apple Podcasts, please be sure to go and give us a five-star review to help other people discover the podcast. Anything you share in terms of episodes, whether it's texting it to a friend, posting on social media, helps to build up the kingdom for God to help confront the challenging issues we face as a culture, but with joy, with hope, and with an eternal perspective where our faith collides with everyday life, bringing eternal principles to help us live our life joyfully. So, what's trending? Bridging your Catholic faith with your everyday life. You're listening to Trending with Timory on Relevant Radio. Marital strife starts to kick in. What do you do? Should you encourage your friend to leave their marriage or should you not? Should you encourage them to divorce or should you not? We'll talk about that in just a moment. And also, you in the dating scene or do you know people who are? We all do. It's a challenging season that seems to only be prolonged in these days. I don't know about you, but I know plenty of people moving into their 30s and even 40s now who are single and wonderful people looking for spouses. What's going on? Does it have anything to do with standards that we set? Are they good standards? Are they bad standards? How can we help both ourselves and others in our expectations? I think it's an important topic. It's our weekly marriage hour today on trending. A report says that married moms are the happiest people out there. Do you agree? Do you disagree? Why or why not? We'd love to hear from you. Numbers 1-888-914-9149. Hey, if you have a friend who's going through a difficult time in your marriage, you're not really sure what kind of advice to give them, give us a call. We're going to talk about that. In fact, Joining me now is Layla Miller. She's a Catholic author and speaker. She has written and compiled two books telling the stories of people. In one book, it's called Primal Loss, how the now adult children of divorce speak out, sharing their story about how the divorce of their parents, whether when they were children or adults, or how it impacted them through into adulthood, uh, negatively really giving a voice to you if you if your parents divorced, how that impacted you as the child of divorce. Incredible book, incredible testimony. I hope you'll pick it up. We'll post a link to it on social media. It's called Primal Loss. Another powerhouse of a book that she wrote on the issue of marriage is she compiled the stories of men and women in this book titled Impossible, quote, Impossible Marriages Redeemed. They didn't end the story in the middle. These stories are phenomenal. You will not believe these marriages that were on the absolute brink of divorce that were saved. She touches near and dear to the issue of marriage and the challenge we face as a culture and really just keeping it together as spouses, for children, in the face of infidelity, and everything happening in the culture. Culture. Layla Miller, welcome back to Trending in our Weekly Marriage Hour. Hi, Timory. It's so great to be back with you. I always enjoy it. You and I were talking earlier today about a challenge that is really astounding, especially coming from a Catholic perspective. And that is how often when all of us at some point or another uh, have friends or family members where they're going through a difficult time in their marriage. I can actually think of uh, someone rather close to my husband and I who was going through a difficult time in his marriage and uh, people we really looked up to in the Catholic community, uh, they were actually advising him to leave his spouse, to move forward with a divorce. And I was 
I was so shocked because I wasn't really in the place to be involved or have a voice in the situation. My husband was more so. And he was really one of the sole voices encouraging fidelity and marriage and what about the children? And it poses that question, should we or should we not encourage our friends and family to leave their marriages when things get difficult? Right. And this is one of those cases um, where I, I like to say we have forgotten who we are. Um, we tend to, when we're in the thick of suffering or seeing our friends suffer, we tend to kind of conform ourselves to the values of the world, which is, well, we need to avoid suffering. We need to make sure everybody's happy. And then we have forgotten who we are and that the central um, you know, icon of our, of our existence as Catholics is the crucifix. You know, uh, The cross isn't something that we, we just toss aside. So if we are presented with the cross in our marriage, which we know, we know that we will and we know that our friends will, we have to ask ourselves, when that cross becomes very heavy, what is our obligation to our friends? And I didn't even consciously think of this until the last few years when I've done this work on marriage and divorce, but this is something to, to think about. When we witness a wedding, when we go to this Catholic church and we witness this couple saying their sacred promises to one another, we're there as the community. That's actually part of the ceremony. I mean, you have to have at least two witnesses to a marriage. That is a, an actual role that we have. We are witnesses to what we have just seen. We, we agree, we approve, we see it, and we also give our um, support to what we've just seen, this, this sacrament that has happened in front of our eyes. So that when, further down the line, inevitably something maybe starts to go wrong, we remember that we were a witness to that marriage. And that's our role even now is to say, wait a second, wait a second. I witnessed you. I witnessed you standing at the altar. I witnessed your love. I witnessed this commitment and this sacred promise. And I am going to be here for you to help you through this because I'm going to stand for that marriage that I witnessed and I'm going to help you both through it. So I don't know if people understand that before God, we have an obligation as a witness there at these marriages to be there when they start to fall apart as well and support the marriage. It's a really, I think, challenging mindset to enter into. It also appeals to the reason why you should or shouldn't go to a marriage, a wedding, if you do or don't agree with it. And I think that that helps to put that perspective in because I know there are many marriages where we're called as Catholics not to attend, for example, the marriage of someone who's Catholic but isn't getting married in the church. Or we're also encouraged if there's something really wrong with this marriage, this is why within, you know, before the vows and everything's official within the context of marriage, there's that opportunity for objection. And you know, you might look at a funny movie where people say, oh, don't offer this opportunity or make sure so-and-so is quiet or behaves themselves and don't object to the marriage. But actually, as witnesses at a marriage ceremony, you have the opportunity to stand up and say something. And I actually remember, um, I didn't agree with it at all, but I had friends who got married, oh goodness, probably about eight or so years ago. And an acquaint mutual acquaintance of ours, for some reason, thought it was her business to go in and tell the couple ahead of time, I think you guys are terrible for each other. I don't think you guys should get married. Now, I don't know why she felt inspired to do so. She was not close to the couple at all, knew both of them separately in childhood and 
for some reason just kind of threw her opinion in uh, directly to them before marriage but it was one of those moments where I thought oh goodness what if she showed up at the wedding and then stood up and said something Uh, it goes to show why we shouldn't just show up at a wedding without actually believing in and supporting the couple that's there getting married and then being willing to stick with that support as their witnesses Absolutely. So if you're there, you're there for the joy of witnessing this um, wonderful commitment This uh, before before God. And you're there before God as well. So again, I think a lot of times we forget our obligations. And so yeah, if you're if you have issues where obviously, if it's not a valid marriage, do not go. Um, and of course, if it's uh, a marriage that you just for whatever reason, you do not support it in your conscience, well, just don't go. I mean, even if it's a Catholic wedding, which there's nothing immoral about going to a Catholic wedding, obviously, but if you personally don't feel like this is a couple that you want to support or, you, or there's something you know bothering your conscience, then just say that you can't make it that day because then you're not obligated yes. later before God to really, again, you were one of the witnesses at the wedding. And, and one thing that we find is that as soon as someone decides they want out, you know, a few years later, you you might pick a side. You know, we always tend to pick the, the person we're closer to. And suddenly we're not standing for the marriage. We're standing for one person versus the spouse, which of course you never want to be dividing spouses. You never want to be in that position. And then it goes further. Some of these witnesses are even becoming witnesses for an annulment. So instead of, you know, it's kind of like, wait a second, you're not supposed to be witness to an annulment. You're supposed to have been witness to the vow and then stand for that marriage. So we've kind of got it all backwards and we need to to go back to the idea that we're standing for the marriage and the children who have a right, they have a natural right to their intact family. So the minute we decide to help someone leave their spouse, and again, we can talk about abuse if you want, you know, that's a whole topic, but uh, as soon as we're helping someone out of their marriage to move along, to move on, we are actually helping to destroy a child's family. So we need to keep that at the forefront of our mind as well. I'm glad you brought that up because you talked about how the moment a side is chosen, you're dividing one spouse against the other. But at the heart of it as well as you're dividing the children from their parents and the commitment of their parents. And it's such a vital issue. We live in a culture, and I know you talk about this a lot, where we live in a culture where people say, oh, you know, children are resilient, they'll be fine. Your book, Primal Loss, The Now Adult Children of Divorce Speak, uh, really sheds light on the reality of that situation. I know you've been here on Trending. We'll have to post a link uh, in the podcast episode notes to that conversation we've had because it's so important because you have shared that many people wanted to share their testimony privately because they were still as adults trying to please their parents and not let them know how significantly that divorce impacted them from childhood into adulthood. Oh, it's fraught with danger. Um, You know, especially when you're a little child and you are dependent 100%, your life, (laughs) your food, your shelter, everything, you're dependent on your parents and they're godlike to you. And naturally, if, you're, if your foundation shatters, you're devastated. Like everything changes inside. And yet you've got the two people, maybe one, maybe not both, because sometimes there's an abandoned spouse and that's another victim of divorce. But you have um, the people in your life, the adults that you, you see as almost godlike, telling you that this is good. Okay, so you can imagine how that can play on a psyche and, and really just debilitate a child and keep them insecure and anxious and wondering what is you know how am i crazy like to miss 
what was, you know, to miss a, an intact family, which of course is how God created it. And then they go um, through life, not wanting to lose the love of their parents, because again, they're everything to a child. And then having to navigate two worlds, which the adults couldn't even do, right? Otherwise they'd be together. And, and then we, we just kind of blithely go along saying, well, they're fine. They're fine. They're resilient. Well, I can tell you when it comes to their own marriages, they really go into it in a different way than people from intact marriages. Um, even the approach to relationships, everything is different. And we can't see inside, but we, we can if we ask them to be anonymous and we ask, and I ask them these eight questions. It was just incredible what came out. It's so painful. And these are adults who look successful to the outside world many times. Sometimes not. Sometimes they're a mess. But, um, but inside, there's a lot still going on. And uh, we haven't begun to tap the damage that divorce has done generationally. Mm -hmm. And just now we've got tens of millions of adult children of divorce out there. And we have not begun to, to look into the, the damage that that has caused to the fabric of society. And it's been devastating. You're listening to Trending with Timory here on Relevant Radio. If you have a question for my guest here during our marriage hour, the number is 1-888-914-9149. And hey, we don't just talk about marriage. We talk about dating too. It's a longer season than ever before. So we're going to be taking questions and discussing that in a moment, especially the reality of standards, good, bad, what's happening with standards today in the dating realm. Uh, joining me now is Layla Miller, the author of who's compiled the stories of people on the issue of divorce, how that's impacted them uh, into adulthood after their parents have divorced, as well as uh, the story of quote unquote impossible marriages redeemed. You have to pick up her book, share them with people who need to hear on these particular topics. Uh, but Layla, coming back kind of this to this idea of how easy it is uh, to just encourage people, friends, family, to leave their marriages when things get difficult. We're talking about the seriousness that when you w witness a marriage, the responsibility you have to encourage and support that marriage and staying together. We discussed the gravity of attending a marriage, you know, only going if you actually support it. And it does come back to that topic that I do want to touch on of how easy it is for many people to go to a wedding out of guilt. And I always find this hilarious. And here's the reason why, because the couple getting married, of course, if they invited you, likely wants you there unless you were on that list that they kind of just had to invite you or you were you know, a mm -hmm. parent's invite. Uh, but the reality is, is that each person who shows up costs money. And so many people actually, you know, some people you really want particulars there, but other people are okay with a lot of people not coming to their wedding. And I am astounded by how often we go to weddings out of guilt or I hear from people, I would feel so bad. It's easy if you're close to them and there's a real serious problem as to why you shouldn't be going, you have a responsibility as a close friend to say something. If you're not close to them, don't feel guilty. Just don't show up has always been my approach. But that guilt with regard to attending the party or being there, uh, it's something I think people have a hard time reconciling. Yeah, so I have a couple different thoughts on, on, on different scenarios. Obviously, um, if it's an invalid marriage, do not go. Just don't go. You're, you're there as a witness. Again, this is a bearing false witness. When you go and you know that it's an invalid marriage, it's a Catholic marrying outside the church without a dispensation, um, you know, that, that is not good. Do not go and witness that. And that can be very difficult, but, um, but that's, our faith is difficult. Today's gospel literally was, Jesus said, I will divide families, mother against daughter, you know, father against son. So that is difficult, but we, we, you know, it doesn't mean you cut someone out of your life. You just simply won't attend that one event. That's okay. You know, I love you anyway. Come to dinner. 
I love you, but I can't, I personally have to be accountable to God for what I do. And my faith says I cannot attend. So you have that. Uh, then you have like, a, let's say a valid marriage, which is great, you know, to go to a valid uh, Protestant marriage or a valid Catholic wedding. You are certainly morally allowed to do that. And uh, so then the issue becomes, like you said, if you decide, if you just don't like the person, that's one thing. But if you think, um, I don't like them, but ah, I'm sure that marriage will last. Well, then go. I mean, if you want to go, you don't have to not witness that. Um, it, it's a valid marriage. It's, it's moral to go. But if you think, like you said, that is not, not good. And even if you are close to that person, I would say, take it up with them, talk to them about it. If they decide to go ahead, then you have the choice to either not go or to go. But if you do decide to go, then do everything in your power to support that marriage from then on in. From then on in, they're a family, they're a unit, they're one. And so then you just make that, that mind, mind change, right? You just change your mind and you say, now I'm going to support this marriage because I went there as a witness and I'm going to do this. And uh, so we, we owe it to, <laughs> to people who, who go through and try to go through the right channels and do everything the way that God would have them do it to really try to support that. Um, so it can be tricky, but my rule of thumb is if it's a valid marriage, go unless you really, really, unless you know that you know, there's something desperately wrong there and then just make, make your excuse and, and just don't, don't show up. That's Layla Miller, Catholic author and speaker. You can find her at laylamiller.net. That's L-E-I-L-A-M-I-L-L-E-R.net. You can also pick up her books there, which we post the links to all of this on social media. Just follow me at Timmery, T-I-M-M-E-R-I-E. We're also tagging Layla as well. Uh, we have a question coming in, a really important question, actually, on that moment of supporting a marriage and how to navigate those difficult situations when someone you know, maybe even your child, is in much less than ideal circumstances going into their marriage. Joe from the East Coast is on the line. Joe, welcome to Trending. What's your question today? Hi, thanks very much for taking my call. So I have... Um a daughter who is living with her fiance. Um, obviously, I mean, we're, uh, I'll just say we were, we're a Catholic family. So she was raised knowing that that's not appropriate. And, uh, she, she, uh, she knows how we feel about the matter. Um, but you know, now they're engaged soon to be married. Um, and you know, it becomes, Thing, the lines become more blurry at this point. Uh, is there, should I still say anything? Uh, you know, I, at this point she knows, but she's doing it anyway. Can she receive the sacraments uh, without going to confession? And would she go to confession because she clearly doesn't think she has anything to confess? So, um, you know, it's, it's, what kind of advice can you give a parent with a child who was raised not to live this way and now is doing so and thinks they're going to straighten it all out by getting married. Layla, if you want to start, get, and I have a few thoughts. Go ahead. Sure. It, it, first of all, just to clarify, is she getting married in the Catholic Church? Yes. Okay. Okay. So I'm just going to tell you that I, I was married as a lapsed Catholic in the Catholic Church. Um, I'm, I, was, I did not go to confession before you know, we went to the altar. I was marrying a Jewish guy. Um, I didn't know my faith very well. Uh, praise God for his mercy. Uh, there was a miracle, you know, six years later um, and three kids later. We both, I had a reversion. He had a conversion. Um, if she's marrying in the church, if she weren't, I would say do not go. 
if she is, I would say, okay, um, you can always talk to her up until, you know, the time that she's married. At that point, that's a marriage. You know, at that point, the church has spoken that that means, you know, they are one, they're a new family. I personally, because if, if it were my child, I, if they already know exactly how I feel, and then there's no question that it's, it's not um, a happy situation, but that this is a step towards at least, I don't know, making an honest person of her in a sense, you know, get married, you're, you're living together, the church is allowing it, okay, if the priest is allowing it and the church is allowing it, I personally would go um, because I, I want to see them, not that the grace of the sacrament would be there for a while, I mean, again, it's, it can be a valid marriage without having the grace applied to the people because they're in a state of mortal sin, but it still would be valid. Does that make sense? So it, it's, uh, it's tricky, but uh, in that case, because it would be considered a valid marriage, I would, I would say go. Um, if it were me, I would go. Mm-hmm. I have a couple of thoughts. Timmer, you might have yeah. another. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And I so appreciate your perspective, especially having been in a similar situation, Layla. So Joa, my initial thought was, you know, as a parent, one of the greatest things you can do as a parent is build your child up, right, with good affirmation. So I think recognizing the good of what she's doing, but then calling her to more at the same time. So we live in a culture that is very anti-marriage. And so the fact that she's desiring to make that commitment to marriage is a good thing. And it sounds like she probably has the incredible example of her parents, which is part of the reason why she is is getting married and getting married in the Catholic Church. And so you've shown, sounds like, that commitment uh, in your own life. So I would start with really making sure that you are affirming your daughter and that she knows you're proud of her for making this commitment to marriage. I, I think that's really important. And again, also coming back in, uh, uh, what's her name? Sorry. Pam Stenzel, a dear friend of mine, very, very active in the uh, pro-life and chastity movement, uh, has always given this piece of advice that I think is helpful, and it might be a really great opportunity for you and your daughter to have a real serious conversation. She said, when I have something really serious to say to my children and family members, I always start with saying, do you know that I love you? Because she said, if they have a response that brings that into question, that means it's going to be a little harder for them uh, to respond and take the advice I have. And some things that might need to be addressed can be addressed to help solidify that relationship and give me an open door or also tell me I don't have an open door to talk to her about this, uh, which is tough to swallow. But I do think that is sometimes a helpful piece of advice. Um, So again, I think starting with affirmation, but second, calling your child to more. And parents are so good at doing this, Um, calling her to more in this respect. Um, And I think this is really important. It's important that we recognize in our current culture, whether you're looking at pornography, having sex outside of marriage, or living with a person you're engaged to, that by doing that, you are saying that you are okay with sleeping with someone who is not your spouse. And that the person that you are about to marry in this case, your fiance, is also okay with sleeping with someone who's not their spouse. And they are taking that attitude into marriage. In other words, they believe that it's okay to be with someone who's not their spouse. They're okay with not being chaste. So if my attitude is if you're not practicing chastity outside of marriage, you're probably not fully going to practice it within the context of marriage. And so what she needs to understand is that what she is allowing to go on is giving her no guarantee that there will be fidelity within her marriage because she is currently telling a lie to the person she's about to marry 
that she's okay with sleeping with someone who's not her husband. And he's currently telling her a lie about his belief of marital fidelity by saying with his body, with the actions they're engaging in, that he also doesn't believe in fidelity necessarily in marriage because he's sleeping with someone who isn't his spouse. And that kind of seems to just smack people in the face for a moment when they realize, I actually do want fidelity in marriage. I want permanence. I want this to last. But the way we're acting right now isn't actually speaking the language that says that. And it's incredible how the expectation of even just a few short months leading up to that marriage can be so incredibly healing. But that expectation and kind of that explanation needs to be placed there on their hearts a little bit. Joe, what are your thoughts? You are fantastic. Thank you. Joe, we're praying for you and praying for your daughter. How exciting these new adventures in your lives. And thanks for being an awesome dad and standing up and speaking up. We'll be praying for you guys. That's Layla Miller here on Trending with Tim Rear. It's our weekly marriage hour. We'll be right back. You can find Layla in the meantime at laylamiller.net. We'll put the link on social media. Continuing on with our weekly marriage hour. If you have a question, numbers 1-888-914-9149. Are dating standards good? Especially with prolonged single years. And do you agree or disagree? Moms are some of the happiest people out there, specifically married moms. You're listening to Trending with Timory, where you can discuss what matters most to you. Join the conversation, 888-914-9149. Layla Miller is my guest. She's a Catholic writer and she's a Catholic speaker, especially focusing on the issue of marriage. She's written two, compiled the stories in two fantastic books. I highly recommend them. Post link on post links on social media. Primal Loss and Now Adult Children of Divorce Speak and the book Impossible, quote, Impossible, Marriage is Redeemed. They didn't end the story in the middle. Really speaking to the testament of fidelity and permanence of marriage as we understand as Catholics. If you have a question, the number is 1-888-914-9149. Teresa from Cypress, California is on the line. She has a question today on trending. Teresa, welcome to Trending. What's your question? Hi, thank you. Uh, my question is, I just heard you saying, you or your guest saying, that if, uh, if you think it's, if it's a, they, what does she say? If it's a valid marriage, go ahead and attend it. How could anyone possibly know if it's a valid marriage? I didn't even know that my own wasn't a valid marriage 60 years ago. As I was walking down the aisle, I thought, what am I doing? I am not supposed to be doing this. And I did it anyway. And two years later, we were divorced. And I don't know how many years later it was annulled. He got it annulled. So how would anybody attending this marriage know that it was a valid marriage? Oh, well, they're both Catholic. Well, so what? Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah, Teresa, that's were, a great question. I think there are a lot of red flags that we could be watching out for. I'll bounce it to Layla and then share some thoughts here. I'm, I'm going to take it just on face value that when we... Um, when I speak of invalid marriages, I'm specifically talking about canonically invalid marriages. So if a Catholic is married outside of the Catholic Church without a dispensation, um, or, you know, or two Protestants, but someone's been married before, so that's, you know, adulterous, 
those are invalid marriages. So I would say absolutely do not go to those. If you're, you're talking more about how can we see into, you know, a future annulment situation and see what a tribunal would decide in 30 years or something. I don't even go there because canon law says uh, that we are to, um, that the marriage um, holds the favor of the law. I'm not saying that exactly right, but that the marriage um, is to be presumed valid. So if you see a Catholic wedding, you're presuming validity, okay? That's not our decision to, to, you know, to vet <laughs> at the time of the wedding or, or before, unless you know something, unless you know something specifically like, oh gosh, you know, this guy has another family in Jersey, you know, or, uh, um, you know, something like that. Um, or this, this, this guy went and got a vasectomy and didn't tell her and they're never going to have kids and that, that, that would invalidate the marriage, you know, from the get-go. So um, anything else? Wow. I mean, you got to kind of go with what the church says, which is we stand by our sacraments. Now, whether or not in practice that actually happens, that's a whole other, dis that's a whole other discussion. But when the church pronounces, you know, this is a man and wife, uh, we, according to canon law, and it, 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 we presume the validity of that marriage. So you can feel free to go to a marriage that is presumed valid and that, that it would be something that the church vouches for. I'll add a couple of thoughts here because it was very, very helpful to see. You mentioned, Layla, you know, sometimes there are things that we know that are, you know, real clear red alert signs like this person has another uh, another family. Uh, in other words, like we know that infidelity is occurring going into that marriage. Uh, there's a responsibility, one, to tell the person he or she is marrying, right, depending on which side it's on. And also, you know, that would be a cause for not being a valid marriage, uh, pornography addiction, especially if it's not known. Um, maybe one person entering into that marriage totally doesn't believe in the vows of marriage, which some of those marital vows have to do with both people entering freely. So, you know, you have to be not forced or coerced uh, that there's fidelity, the intention of fidelity. If there's not the intention of fidelity, again, that's one of those problems with regard to a valid marriage. Uh, if someone enters into a marriage and they don't intend to have children, uh, both permanently or maybe currently practicing contraception or intending to have an abortion if they have a child. Uh, th those are all red flags that would call into question the validity of the marriage before it was entered into and at the moment of those vows being entered into. That being said, we live in a culture where a lot of these wounds are being taken into marriages. And we have to also understand that God can heal all things and bring about incredible conversions. And so even though you might enter into a marriage uh, with maybe not, not intending to be faithful or maybe with a severe uh, amount of fidelity, that doesn't mean that that can't be a valid marriage through which the grace of God working and the couple working together to be healed by the grace of God and maybe even using you know, various therapeutic services for healing to make that marriage strengthened into what God is calling it to be. Additional thoughts, Layla? Right. And there's something else that I didn't even know about until I started doing this work. And that is that if you, let's say one person in the marriage does recognize that, oh my gosh, I never told my spouse, you know, at the time of the marriage that I was not intending to ever have children. And then this person, you know, changes their mind, but they don't want to go back and tell the, make a big thing out of it. Maybe they have children now, even unilaterally, they can convalidate, you know, you could go to a priest and just say, I, I just, you know, can you make sure that um, we can validate this because, um, or if both of them do know that they both went in deciding they don't want uh, children, 
I always say, why, why divorce and, and move on, especially with children? If you know that there was something really wrong, a real impediment, an objective impediment, go ahead and fix it. Go ahead and, 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 and validate that marriage. Have, get, get a real marriage there. Get it going. So, um, so that's another thing that we never really talk about, but that's absolutely possible. You're listening to Trending with Timur here on Relevant Radio. That's Layla Miller. Uh, another interesting call just came in. Blaze from Saddlebrook. Blaze from Saddlebrook, New Jersey. Welcome to Trending. What's your comment or question today? Oh, good evening, uh, Timur. Uh, I'm so glad to be uh, with you. Um, well, you know, listening to a lot of this and, and being married for 15 years and going through ups and downs like most marriages, I once came across a homilist, a Catholic homilist, who said, if you make love a decision rather than an emotion, because the emotion can be intense, it could be wonderful, it could be terrible, but if you make it a decision, I decide to love you, my spouse, regardless of the emotion I feel in the moment, you just can't go wrong because you're going to love the spouse, you know, in a way similar to God loving humans although never as perfect. That's that's Christ-like love. That's Christ-like love, right? And on the back of one of my books, there's a quote from one of the uh, participants who said, when divorce isn't an option, all other options become more realistic. When divorce Mm -hmm. isn't sought after, healing is. So, you know, take Mm -hmm. off the table, this exit, you know, ramp, and then what possibilities open up? Okay. Mm-hmm. And that's when we start to see, okay. And that's how, kind of how it used to be. It's like, you know what? There's, there's no plan B. You get married. There's no mm-hmm. plan B. So what, how are we going to love? And we have um, to love like Christ loved. Yeah. yeah it's funny, Layla. I'm thinking, it reminds me of uh, one of my clients from Pilates. I taught her for years, adored her. She was in her mid seventies, really, really um, different personality. And one that I just really grew to love and appreciate. And I knew she was uh, anti-religious in some way and had very different political views, but we really grew to love each other. And one day when I was teaching her, I said something and it gave away that I was Catholic. And she goes, you're one of those good Catholic girls, aren't you? And I said, yeah, yeah, I'm Catholic. You know, like, yes, I really take my faith seriously. Uh, and she goes, oh, no. And so from then on out, there would be moments where I found out that she grew up Catholic, went to all-girls Catholic school. And it was neat to see, you know, she had this kind of fake animus toward the Catholic faith. And there were a lot of really great memories she had. She grew up in a really strong Catholic home. So did her husband. And neither of them were proud practicing, but it always stood out to me. I would hear these stories about how her and her husband would just absolutely get on each other's nerves. And I would be cracking up hearing these stories about these two people who drove each other crazy, but also clearly adored each other in the thick of it and have stayed faithful in their marriage all of these years. And to kind of hear their ups and downs, it was so astounding to recognize that at the end of the day, And she would say this over and over again. My family does not believe in divorce. We don't do divorce. You stick it out. You stay together. And she'd speak over and over again to that family ideal, which was the Catholic ideal that she was raised with. And it was amazing. Like you just said, the choice of divorce 
infidelity, that wasn't there. And so they had to choose, even in the face of driving each other crazy at times, to be faithful and to overcome those feelings and emotions that certainly do come and go. And I thought it was such a great witness of a couple who had that Catholic ideal, lost the Catholic part at some point, but were still fighting for the sacrament while not recognizing it in their own way. And God was still working there in the background. And, and so I love that comment you just made, Layla, about how when divorce isn't an option, look, look what you have. It's a choice to love, and that is so profound. And our dear friend, Brooke Taylor, who's here on Trending Often when I'm away, mm. um, she will talk about how it is purely an act of the will that you stay sometimes in your marriage. That things can be so difficult, and people say, well, why do you stay? Or you ask, well, how am I staying? It's an act of the will. It's a choice to be there. You're listening to Trending with Timory here on Relevant Radio. Layla, I want to talk about dating standards and the challenges of dating standards. We're seeing prolonged single years, and many people we know, all of us have someone looking for a spouse. Some of us are baffled as to why certain people aren't finding spouses. What do you think is that part of the heart of the problem here? Hmm. Oh, it's so sad. I think it is Tony Esselin who calls it the lonely generation. Um, it, people aren't getting married. I mean, young people, this is very unnatural, right? It's unnatural for young people in a society not to get married. And sadly, we all, probably Catholics, we are seeing that that's happening even among Catholics. And so what is the problem? That's a great question. Um, we've... I mean, so many things have been inverted. So many things. I, the idea that, I, I mean, I can just throw out so many different things. The idea that, number one, you know, education is more important than vocation and that we teach, even as Catholics, we teach our daughters mm -hmm. especially. We're like, you know what? Go get your degree and then go get your master's and get your PhD. Get, because, you know, you got to be able to take care of yourself. Okay, well, by the time they're done with all that and then they've accrued all this debt, where are the men? Well, the men are back the good chaste men are marrying the young, you know, 21 year old who, you know, isn't accruing this debt and didn't go in six or eight years of education. And I'm not saying there's anything wrong with education. I have education. My, my daughters have education. My sons have education. Uh, but are we listening to the culture? Or are we listening to Christ? What, what's our values here? Is it, is it education or is it vocation? So are we raising up our own children to think about vocation first and foremost, as the way to heaven, as our state in life, right? And then we have, um, I mean, right now I'm kind of picking on the, the, the female side of it. I'm a female. Uh, but, you know, I, I know plenty of lovely, lovely Catholic girls who, you know, young women who are extremely picky, but not about the right things. We want to be picky about virtue and picky about, you know, someone being a good Catholic who wants to strive to, to be holy and a good husband, a protector and a provider. But I didn't know this was a thing until recently that many young women now will not look at a man if he is not six feet tall. And I'm not just making that up. And that's not an <laughs> no, arbitrary. Not. It's not an arbitrary height. I mean, they actually believe that unless the guy yes. is six feet tall, they will not date him. And I was floored when I understood this. My husband's not six foot tall. And I, we have a wonderful marriage of 32 years. So and then I just read about it. And there was a Crisis Magazine article that said the exact same thing. And I'm like, well, yes. then I'm not just the only one. It, she right. literally mentioned the six foot thing the the requirement oh, i'm like okay I think it's a no thing. wonder you yeah. ladies it's yeah. i was blown I think away it's a thing. well and layla I, i'm not going to say i'm guilty of this because it's not that i ever refuse to date someone 
based on their height, I don't think. Um, but yeah, that ideal of someone who's six feet tall, you know, a lot of people want their kids to be tall. I'm short, I'm barely five two, you know, <laughs> there's that, <laughs> that hope and there's something natural about, you know, your desire and your pheromones and what you're desiring in terms of who you're attracted to. But I get the legitimacy of like, okay, there's this ideal of six feet tall, but then I have a problem with the rejection when someone doesn't meet a uh, superficial criteria, as mm. great as it can be that you do automatically just close the door based on on, uh, based on a height or based on the color of the hair, because some people are doing that. Mm-hmm. And and I will say, because again, I'm 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 like Gen X. I'm 55 years old. I, I can tell you, it was not even a thing with us. Like, so this is something new. It is something very new. Um, I mean, we always want, oh, you know, want to marry a guy a little bit taller than you, so you could wear heels and not, you know, be taller than he was. But it was never like this this thing. So you, you hear a lot about, you know, I want us basically a St. Joseph who's gorgeous and six feet tall. It's like, well, you're not going to find that. So <laughs> you might be alone your whole life. I mean, that, that, that is true. And, and then, you know, again, there's, um, so there are a lot of lonely young men. I do know this, you know, there are a lot of lonely young men who are like, well, where are the women? Well, they wouldn't even look at, they wouldn't even look at him because he's 5'10". So, I mean, it, it's, it's a problem. Um, mm-hmm. but on the other side, you've got the problem with, with the men, you know, and they want right. someone who looks a certain way, uh, because they're very visual, you know, but you kind of have to say, well, wait a second, wait a second. You're not going to marry a sexy model looking person who actually is also a chaste, lovely, um, a non-feminist wife who, you know, she doesn't want to look like something out there that might look more like a prostitute. Uh, so you, you also, men, just because you're visual, you need to also temper your expectations. And so we've got a lot of that kind of going on. And it, it ends up being just a very lonely uh, generation where this dance, here's another sad thing. There's this dance where it used to be that you'd kind of date or the kids would, you know, when a boy becomes a teenager, he'd start to think about like dating or girls now in high school are very anti-male, very anti-man. Many of them are now bisexual or identifying as bisexual mm-hmm. because that's kind of True. the thing. And they're very hostile to masculinity and to just boys, just boys in general, very hostile. They think, you know, they're, they're buying into this, that they're bad beasts, you know, whatever. So I was giving a retreat a couple of, maybe a month ago. And one of the moms in the front, she said, I have a teenage son and he's interested in a girl at school and he's really kind of an innocent, you know, guy. But if you even hint that you're interested in a girl, which is the normal dance that used to happen between male and female, the girl will think you're disgusting and that you're a predator. That what what are you doing? You know, I don't want your affection. I don't want your attention. I don't want you to even. So instead of teaching our daughters to just gently kind of, you know, um, if you're not interested, then you're not interested. We see these guys as predators just because they're interested in dating. Mm -hmm. And I don't know if the porn Mm -hmm. culture has to do with that because we think that any kind of attention has to lead to some sort of pornographic uh, culmination in a relationship. But, um, so it's very sad. There are a lot of very sad boys out there, a lot of very lonely girls out there. I think this really just barely scratches the surface on dating standards and some of the challenges. And I'll kind of leave it with this thought. I would love to ta- tease it out, but we'll have to come back on it. Uh, in this, the idea is this. Uh, do you think that this whole six-foot-tall standard that girls have uh, for men today has to do with their desire to have a protector in the culture? And so they're confusing height with the ability to be protected and what that protection means to them. We'll be right back here on Trending with Tim Ray. Layla Miller is my guest today. Thanks for joining me. We'll be right back. So, what's trending? Bridging your Catholic faith with your everyday life. 
You're listening to Trending with Timory on Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app. Welcome back to our weekly marriage hour today on Trending. We're talking about this really important topic of dating standards, good or bad. There's a standard that seems to be very prevalent, millennials on town, that we want the guy for women, that we want the guy who's six feet tall at least. And I was really fascinated by this. I know my guest, Layla Miller, joining me now. She's a Catholic author and speaker, written incredible books on the topic of marriage. We posted links on social media. You can find her at laylamiller.net. That's laylamiller.net. Again, links are on social media in the episode notes. But I know you saw the article in Crisis about women wanting six feet tall men. I, I do see this as true. And part of me wonders, I'd like to get your thoughts on this. Do you think this desire in our feminist culture where we've seen the emasculation of men, Layla, do you think part of the reason why women are looking for this sudden standard of six feet tall, at least, and holding to it is because we have it ingrained in us as women to have men protect us. And the reality is, is that the physical strength of men has decreased as well as the spiritual protection coming from men has decreased. And so it's almost as if we're using height as kind of that thing that is maybe just a little bit of an indication that this person is larger and perhaps could protect me. Mm, that's very interesting because it is kind of, unless we deny the differences between male and female, which everybody wants to do, we want to have this androgenized world, right? A genderless world. And yet innately within us, women are feminine and they are, and femininity is a per perfection and men are masculine and that's a perfection and that's a good so when we, I guess, are supposed to be as strong as they are and earn as much money as they do and be as, you know, aggressive as men are and all that, then maybe the only thing that we, I guess, and I'm not speaking we, but these younger women that they see in society is, well, the one thing I don't want to be is like super tall. Like I still want to be I still want a guy who has the height. And you might be right that that is the only thing that legitimately can still be okay to want, I guess, in a man um, to, to, to kind of feed that innate need to have security. Because that's the other thing. There's nothing wrong with a woman who is softer, smaller, weaker, gentler, right? All those things, more, more, more imminent, more interior, all that, more receptive. We do need protection. That's why God made men with muscles and they build and they use the things of the earth to build cities and to build roads and to, you know, hunt big game. And that could very well be where we're just projecting that out there and going, well, that's the one thing that I guess I'll leave as my standard for um, kind of filling the hole of that uh, man being big, strong protector and being able to, to kind of keep me safe. It could be. Yeah, I, th I think it's something kind of in this culture to maybe consider where, where we're replacing one thing for another, and we do. The reality is at the end of the day, as a culture today, we really tend to, when we decrease, you know, whether it be our uh, capacity to have children, we avoid having children, we start turning dogs into our children, right? When we stop mm -hmm. marrying, we start having 
roommates, whether men or women, that we start treating and depending on as if they were our spouse. You know, we, there's all this kind of surrogate relationships and fillers happening all around us. And I'm wondering if this six foot tall desire is part of that filler for the desire to be protected both physically and spiritually and mo morally in all of those dimensions. Layla, thank you so much for joining us today. Your books are incredible. LaylaMiller.net. We'll post the link on social media. That's L-E-I-L-A-M-I-L-L-E-R.net. Check out her books, especially if you know someone going through a difficult uh, time in their marriage in particular. This is a great book, Impossible Marriages, quote unquote, Impossible Marriages Redeemed. They didn't end the story in the middle. Thanks for being with us, Layla. I want to just take a couple minutes in these last few moments, a fascinating study, and we're going to have to talk about it more during our weekly happy hour next week because I think it's so important uh, to see who are some of the happiest people out there. A uh, report has come out. It's an annual American family survey that's done every year. Uh, combined, it's done by Brigham Young University with Desiree News. And every year they do this in the same results come out every single year with one particular demographic. And let me tell you, the feminists absolutely hate this study. And they get very defensive in the media if they cover it, uh, or they try to ignore it. It's really fascinating as they try to kind of explain away in their own words. And this is, this is what's fascinating. The claim is, over and over again, is that married moms are the happiest people. Done. Married moms are the happiest people. And we know, so from this, they're saying that there are some, they are the most satisfied people out there. Here's a fact. Conservative women statistically are more likely to marry because non-conservative women, more quote unquote progressive, whatever you want to call them women, uh, don't have the same views having to do with fidelity in marriage, getting married at all, having children, you know, contraception, abortion are a part of that standard for them. So it's really fascinating to think about this because what we see is the study essentially shows that faith-filled conservative women with traditional views about marriage who are getting married and having children report being the most satisfied people out there today. They have a double the rate of satisfaction than other women and people in general. Why? They're not just committing to marriage a lifelong relationship that takes work, as we've been talking about all, all hour. It requires sacrifice, but they're also choosing to have children and stay with the father of their children. We're going to talk more about this because it really debunks the feminist lie, the myth that a life without kids is the best. It's not true. And whether you are a woman in your 50s, 40s, late 30s, suddenly discovering this and trying to do everything you can to have a child, or again, against church teaching, have your eggs frozen to prepare for maybe having a child via surrogate or IVF one day, we see women are saying over and over again, I wish I had children. I wish I had more children. Uh, this is a topic that is near and dear to the reality having to do with not just the moment-to-moment -moment emotional happiness, but what I would argue is a paradox of joy that for some reason, feminism today is absolutely rejecting. Hey, coming up state to state, we have votes happening in the weeks and days ahead. Votes in California in particular, Michigan and Vermont, that will determine whether there's unfettered access or not in absolute free abortion, essentially, in those states. 
Proposition 1 in California needs a no vote to stop this radical expansion of abortion. Proposition 3 in the state of Michigan needs a no vote, as well as Proposition 5 in Vermont needs a no vote. These are outrageous bills. We'll post a link on social media as well as the episode notes for details you need to know. But gentlemen, there are lots of rallies going on, but there's specifically a rally for men at the Men's March to Save the Unborn, October 22nd, this Saturday at 1 p.m. at the state capitol. We'll post a link on social media to a little more details. But let's get out there, gentlemen. Support and have your voices heard supporting the pro-life reality that we need in our culture, protecting women and protecting babies. This is Timory from Trending with Timory. I feel like Christmas is coming early. Really, really neat archeological find. The burial spot of St. Nicholas was discovered underneath a Turkish church. Join me on Friday at 6 p.m. Central on Relevant Radio or the Relevant Radio app as we talk about St. Nicholas' burial spot being discovered and what we really think about the Eucharist.